And my question this morning is, who's my neighbor? Not who's your daddy, who's my neighbor? This won't be Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, and it is a pretty strong shot in the face as a wake-up call to a very divided country and a very divided church. So I'm going to begin reading. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He said, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, you've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you'll live. But this expert in the law wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, well, uh, who is my neighbor? Is it someone like me? Is it somebody who believes like me? Is it somebody in my political party? Is it somebody in my culture or my race or who dresses like me? <laughs> Cheer up, it's going to get worse. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and I've been down that road uh, four times, and it is 17 miles. It's a 30-degree temperature drop, so when people go to Palm Springs for vacation from out in California, people in Jerusalem go to Jericho because it's hot and warm down there year-round. It is the lowest place below sea level on the planet Earth. So that's why Scripture always says, up to Jerusalem, down to Jericho. Now, see, you didn't know that. So now you can have something to talk about at lunch. Jim, wake up. He's drooling, Pam. Take care of him. So he says, then the guy was attacked by robbers, carjacked. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Well, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So also a Levite, when he came to the same place and saw the guy, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took compassion on him. He went over to him, bandaged his wounds, poured in some oil and wine. Then he put the man on his, his uh, four-door Nissan, his, his donkey, yeah, and, and brought him to Motel 6 and took care of him. And they left the light on for him, remember? I've, this is a crowd, all masked, and I'm trying to get you into this with me, all right? All right, stay with me. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Then Jesus said, which of these three people do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell to the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law says, well, the guy who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Do you remember when the angels came to the shepherds to announce Messiah's birth? And part of what they said was, don't be afraid, guys. I bring you good news of great joy. And then this amazing phrase, which I think the church has forgotten, that will be for all, A-L-L, -L, all people. And I want to talk about that little word, all all the people, and how seriously God takes that word. Now, what prompts this story is that one day a religious leader comes up to Jesus and says, how do, you, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, Jesus knows, by the way, the guy's testing him. So he says, what does the law say? And this expert in the law says, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, good answer, Sparky, do that and live. 
But then the text says, but the man wished to justify himself. There must be something behind this. In other words, he wants to make sure he screens who the neighbor is. Because he's going to test Jesus and justify how he can ignore certain people not like him. That's kind of interesting. I, I wonder if any of you have ever done that. You try to justify yourself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Like, how broad is that category? Who is it that God wants me to love like I love myself? There was no prevailing view among rabbis as to who was your neighbor. In fact, they disagreed among themselves. But they all agreed on who doesn't count as my neighbor. Gentiles don't count. Women don't count. Pagans don't count. Heretics don't count. Social outcasts, people like, not like us, don't count at all. People who are oppressed, uh, minorities, the uh, uh, outcast kind of people, they don't count at all. So this religious leader says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells him a story, and it's going to get him in some deep yogurt when he tells it. So Jesus tells the story. A man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of carjackers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, robbed him, went away, left him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw the guy, he passed by on the other side. Everybody could identify that's listening to this story. It's taken right out of the headlines of their day because the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is 17 miles. It's narrow. It's notoriously dangerous. It's because it's narrow, and still is, by the way, it's surrounded by high hills. I was on a bus and got stoned when they were having unrest in that area going down to Jericho. It's filled with rocks and crannies and caves. It's a great place to ambush somebody. It's a crime-infested road. So you go down that road by yourself, and you are begging for trouble. And this man goes down alone. And along the way, he gets in some serious trouble. So these bandits ambush him, leave him lying on the road, naked and half dead. A priest comes by, probably riding his donkey, comes down that very narrow road. It's not like he could overlook the guy. His donkey would have to step over him because it's a narrow road. And he did, and he offered no help at all. Now, why didn't he help? Well, I was thinking it could be it's dangerous, number one. There, you can't call 911 or EMS. So if you stop, the bandits might get you. It's a risky deal. Another possibility is that, in fact, I was thinking in today's messed up, divided culture, somebody might not like you if you help somebody they don't like. I mean, Anne Lamott used to say, I remember years ago, she said, you know you've made God in your own image when he hates everybody you do. Some of you are going to be shocked. He doesn't hate everybody you do. Another possibility is this priest serves in the temple. So he's got to lead worship, offer sacrifices, and he has to be in a state of ritual purity. He had to be clean. So rule number one, the written law says, contact with a corpse, a dead person, would make you unclean, ceremonially impure. Rule number two, the law says if you have contact with a Gentile, it'll make you unclean. Now, he can't ask the man what he is. Jesus says the guy was near dead. And the priest doesn't know if the guy is a Gentile, a Roman, a, an Israelite, a Democrat, or a Republican. <laughs> you, could, you could tell in that day by the way people dressed, who they were, what they were. But this guy's stripped naked, so they don't know. Is he one of us or one of them? Is he an insider or an outsider? All the priest knows is that it's a human being 
in deep need. He's in trouble. And the priest who considered himself a righteous man, who considered himself to be in a state of religious purity, won't touch him. He's probably thinking that not touching this guy gets me brownie points with God, and it proves that I have religious purity. Gag me. God must throw up in heaven. Ken Bailey is a brilliant guy on the parables. And he writes, there is a pattern to this story, and it affects all the major characters in the story. Here are the three words, come, do, and go. Come, do, and go. And you can look at everybody's behavior in this story, and you're going to see those three words fit the bill. The bandits come, and they do. They beat the guy, rob the guy, strip him, and they go. A priest comes, he sees the guy, and what does he do? Nothing. He goes. And then guy number two comes along. He's a Levite. He comes, he sees, he goes. Doesn't do anything. And that's pretty much it. Now, Levites served the priest in the temple. And most probably, too poor for a donkey. So he couldn't put the injured man on a donkey to carry him for help. But how many of you think, well, he could have done something. He could have stopped. He could have said a prayer. He could have stopped the bleeding. He might administer some low-level first aid. But he does nothing. Same for the priest. He comes, he sees, does nothing. And he goes. Same pattern. So up to this point, from the crowd's point of view, listening to Jesus, it's a good story. It's very realistic. They could actually picture this happening. Because often in Israel, when parables were told, there would usually be three characters. There'd be a priest, a Levite, and an Israeli layperson, kind of like Joe the plumber. So the crowd is looking forward to this. They're expecting Jesus to tell that kind of a story. There's a priest who doesn't do so good. There's a Levite who doesn't do so good. And then Joe the plumber comes by. That's what they're expecting. Then Jesus drops the bomb. The priest comes by. The Levite comes by. They don't do so good. And then along comes a Samaritan. And when Jesus said Samaritan to this crowd, he said a really, really bad word. Samaritans were half-breeds. The Israelis were mortal enemies. They were so despised that one of the rabbis said this, quote, He, the Israelite, that eats the bread of the Samaritans, that sits at the table with the Samaritan, or even consumes food that's come from one of the Samaritans, is like him that eats the flesh of swine, pigs. The Jews thought you couldn't insult God worse than hanging out or indicating some kind of kindness or tolerance for a Samaritan. And we have people like that today. Oh, yeah. God hates who I hate. He wouldn't like them. It's pretty amazing. I, I, I've often wondered over a cup of coffee, I wish Jesus would show up in person now. And I wonder how he'd dress and who he'd hang out with. What rally would he go to? What would he say? I guarantee you if he offended his own mother, his own brothers, his own staff, his own team, a whole nation, he'd mess you up bad. I really believe that. I think as broad-minded as I think I am, I think he'd probably offend me too. It would at least make me go, oh my gosh, really? Yeah. Do you ever have any thoughts like that at all? Or do you just sit in church? And grow dandruff. I mean, what do you do? I, yeah, don't, you have, don't you have questions? Don't you ever wonder? I have a lot of questions I wonder about. In, in Luke 9, just before this story, Jesus and the disciples are going through Samaria because Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. 
And they go through a Samaritan village, and the village doesn't roll out the red carpet to welcome them. And Scripture says when James and John saw it, they asked, Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn them up? I mean, like they could do that? I don't think so. You, you know, just give us the word. We'll call down fire because they're Samaritans. They didn't vote the way we did. That's how hated they were. Okay, back to our story. Everybody's on board. Everybody listening is loving this so far. Some guy gets beat up on a dangerous road. Priest comes by. Levite comes by. Pretty good story. And then like in some political campaigns, a candidate will say something stupid off the top of his head, and it's a death nail. So the disciples are listening with a religious teacher. They're waiting for Jesus to say, the priest comes by, the Levite comes by. They don't do so good. And then here comes Joe Israel, Joe the plumber. The audience is going to love it. And then Jesus says, the Samaritan. And everybody's freaking out thinking, Jesus, what are you thinking? Not a good plan. Nobody in Israel ever told a story about a good Samaritan. When Jesus said that word, he was crossing every line of decency and good taste in that culture. He was offending everybody in that crowd. Boy, you have to appreciate the raw guts of this man, Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, and he does it deliberately. In fact, it gets worse. Remember the pattern? Come, do, and go. Well, Jesus says the priest comes, he sees, does nothing, and goes. The Levite comes, he sees, does nothing, and goes. The Samaritan, when he saw him, Jesus says he had compassion on him. That's what was going on in the Samaritan's heart. What was going on in the heart of the priest? We don't know. We have to guess. What's going on in the heart of the Levite? We don't know. We have to guess. So do you know what it did to this Jewish crowd to hear that Samaritan was closer to the heart of God than a priest or a Levite. He took pity on the man. He went to him, bandaged up his wounds, poured in oil and poured in wine. And by the way, they were both used in the temple and both as instruments of worship. The priest didn't know how to use them in a way that would please the heart of God. But a half-breed Samaritan does. Hey, by the way, do you remember the story when Elijah was thumb-sucking, whining to God? I, only I am true to the faith. I, only I, love you, Lord. I am the only one. Sounds like some Americans I know. And God says, Elijah, shut up. I've got 7,000 people in that city that aren't part of you or your culture or your ideology that have not bowed the knee to Baal. i got a bigger church than you think. Some of you need to hear that. He's, he's got more people than you think he does. Yeah, well... Okay, you can stone me after the service. All right, I don't care. I'm too old to care. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, gave him his American Express card, took care of him. And the next day, he took out some more money, gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I get back, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you had. So Jesus is rubbing the crowd's nose in this. He's, he's pulling verb after verb after verb, and he says the Samaritan does, and he does, and he does, and he does. Seven different actions the Samaritan takes. So the Samaritan makes up for the priest. The priest could have put the man on his own donkey, take, took him to a hotel, cared for him a little bit, but he didn't do that. Samaritan does. Then he makes up for the Levite. The Levite could have done something, prayed, put a bandage on the guy, given him a little first aid, but he didn't do it at all. Samaritan does. And I think, by the way, 
Think about the crowd Jesus is talking to. They're sectarian. They are culturally racist at the moment. Jesus hasn't begun the, the whole transformation. He's about to mess up everybody by his inclusion. But at that moment, they still think they're the only people God likes. Uh, and, and what would an Israelite village in that day do if people saw a Samaritan ride into town with a half-dead Jewish man on his donkey? That'd be a mob, and it'd get ugly really, really fast. So the Samaritan comes to do just that. He comes to that town. It's an Israeli town. He doesn't come at night. He doesn't drop the guy off anonymously at the end. He comes publicly for everybody in that village in Israel to see. And he spends the night taking care of the man in the end. This Samaritan is risking his own life. The injured man's money had been stolen. The Samaritan doesn't just pick him up and put him on a donkey, throw him off at a hotel. No, he pays for the guy out of his own pocket, promises to pay for whatever else is needed. It's unbelievable. A Samaritan's doing all this stuff. And he didn't even vote like I did. He comes and he does and he does and he does and he does. He makes up for the priest, makes up for the Levite, makes up for them all. And Jesus tells this unbelievable story, ticks everybody off. He turns to the religious expert and he says, okay, Sparky, which of these three people was a neighbor to the man who was beaten, robbed by the robbers? And the expert in the law says, the one who had mercy on him. What is the word this religious expert cannot make himself say? Samaritan. He won't even say it. He says, uh, uh, the one that had mercy. Now, anybody remember the question that triggered Jesus telling the story? Who is my neighbor? And the one that's the neighbor in this story is the one who showed mercy on him. And who's that? The Samaritan. The person you hate the most in your world, the tribe, the group, the ideology that just sets your teeth on edge, that's your neighbor. See, this is not some pleasant little story about how it's good to be good, nice to be nice to people. It's a scandalous, deliberately scandalous story, in your face, challenge to a group of people, and Jesus paid a big price for his big heart. Remember when Jesus came, his mom was pregnant, and uh, she wasn't married, Rumors circulated about Jesus, bad, bad social media. In John 8, verse 48, a group of people from Israel are talking to Jesus, and they slanderously say, hey, aren't we right in saying you are a Samaritan? And to add insult to injury, they say, demon-possessed. And that's how we demonize the outsider, the Samaritan, or whoever you fill in the blank. Jesus is just putting the scalpel in really deep into this group of people and to you and me because we too will justify our lack of love, compassion, and mercy. We'll justify our coming and seeing and doing nothing. Nothing for people who have been beaten up in life, left by the side of the road, or when children starve, our families are orphaned. We don't see. We didn't notice. I didn't know they were my neighbor. They didn't look like me. I thought it was somebody else's job. I thought somebody else would stop and do, do what I ought to do. Can you see this is Jesus about whom God the Father says that his presence on earth would be good news of great joy to all people? I don't care how bad you are, even some of you who think you're the baddest of the bad as far as being apart from God. You're not so bad God can't save you. You're not so bad God doesn't love you. 
That's not even possible. Get that out of your head. See? I mean, it's good news for all people, not just us who are sitting here in this building or watching online. Jesus takes all real seriously. I, I, I grew up in segregated churches. I, I grew up in the Deep South. Uh, they're still segregated. Martin Luther King said that 11 o'clock on Sunday is still the most segregated hour in the, in, in the church in the country. It really hadn't changed much. And not only that, now you add to it, we have political divisions. We have churches that are affiliated with political parties. Dear God, who would have thought that? I will never hitch Jesus Christ to a political party. He won't fit. He'll screw you up and that party up. I don't care which one it is. And I'm loyal to the Word of God before I'm loyal to any person or any ideology or government or party. If you're not, you're going to be in trouble. you got to have your loyalty somewhere. And the loyalty is to when Scripture is clear, to me, it's right or wrong. It's not Republican, Democrat, uh, black or white. It's right or it's wrong. And if you live by the Word of God, you're not gonna get in, you'll get in trouble, but it'll be with religious people. It won't be with Jesus. Because he got in trouble too. And so my boundaries are set by scripture. Now, if there is no scripture for what you believe, it's your opinion. And you cannot put that on anybody else, Romans 14 says. That's just your preference. That's just your conscience. But if scripture's clear, I am bound, I am bought and paid for to uphold it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Not love your friends in your church as you love yourself. Love others. All right? I've been preaching this since we started. We'd have a bigger church if I'd shut up. So he, that's why I need your help. You sit there and take it for granted, but it, that's not, you ought to hear what the pressure I get from different groups to be their little bubblehead spokesman for their agenda or their little political point of view or whatever or race. I won't do it. I've been bought and paid for by Jesus. This is the kingdom of God. I will not attach it to a, a, culture, a country, or a political party. I'm not ashamed to be born in America. I couldn't help it. That's what happened. But my loyalty first is to the kingdom of God. I can't believe you could, you could violate scripture just because your political party says so. Whatever it is. And none of them keep the word of God. All of them are scandalous. All of them are filled with sinners. So good luck. Good luck. So he finishes this unbelievable, gutsy, in-your-face, deeply offensive story. And he turns to the religious leader and says, now go and do likewise. Be part of my movement and I'll go with you and we'll do life together. We will come from one moment to the next. We will do what God the Father has told us to do for people who get beaten up and left by the side of the road. Go and do. That's my challenge, Jesus said. A few decades ago, and I'm going to close with this, Princeton University did a study of faith and compassion with seminary students. They were put into two different groups and each given a different topic. On their way to give the talk one at a time, each of them came across a man that looked like he was in deep need. Now the professor had set it up, but they didn't know it. It was a stranger slumped in an alley, semi-conscious, giving a little groan, obviously in trouble, maybe drunk, they didn't know. The majority of the students did not offer help of any kind. Most didn't even stop to check on the guy. Do you know what Bible topic each student was assigned to speak on? The parable of the Good Samaritan. Here's the shocker. 
People who had just read the parable of the Good Samaritan and were on their way to give a talk about it were no more likely to help a hurting guy in an alley than people who were not thinking about the parable of the Good Samaritan at all. The study pointed out that it made a big difference how hurried the students were. They found that students in the low hurry category were 600% more likely to help than students in a high hurry category. They found that compassion became a luxury as the speed of life increases. You simply cannot come and do and go as Jesus would if you live life in chronic hurry. The good news of Jesus is not, it's good to be good, it's nice to be nice. The good news is that God sends Jesus, he comes into our world, then he goes through a life where he serves and he heals and he delivers and he still does that. He dies on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He's raised from the dead. He goes on to be with the Father, but before he left, he said this, now, just as the Father sent me, so send I you. And that's you and you and you and you and me. Now Jesus says, you be a part of the good news team. But here's the deal. It's for everybody. It's to all people, not just your people. As the Father sent me, so send I you. I don't know what that means for you. It's a God deal. All I know is that Jesus and his movement is still to be good news, to bring great joy for all people. And a lot of people, a lot of people are laying, bleeding, robbed, and stripped by the side of the road. Go on a trip to a third world country. Get out of your comfort zone. Be appreciative when you get back of what you've got. Sponsor a child. Cindy and I and some of you have done that for years. Pick up a child hunger fund box right outside the door as you leave the service and fill it out so we can help hungry kids in San Antonio. Go down for a day and serve at a homeless shelter. Get with Rose and, and uh, 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 Robert uh, Reyes and go downtown once and do a little cleanup. I'm sure there's a capacity for serving, giving, and loving, and caring. We're just beginning to realize here at Summit. And when we do see, it's not just that it's better for our world, but it's better for us. It's more blessed. And as we grow and develop resources and volunteers, think how much more we could fulfill the ministry of Jesus, bringing good news to all people. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.